Man, it's so good to see everybody this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we got back last night from the Certainty Conference in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and man, we just had a great time. Uh, such good teaching, talking about the next generation and how important it is to instill our beliefs into the next generation, because somebody's trying to infiltrate them, and, and if we don't teach them, who's going to? And so we just had a great time in the Lord talking about that, focusing on that next generation, and uh, yeah, we, it, was a, it was, really was a great conference. And so, man, we're, we're coming off the heels this morning, though. We're coming off the heels of Corey's Habits series. And if you missed any of those messages, I, I want to begin, man, I want to encourage you. Would you go back and, and listen to those if you missed it? You, the, the content of that series to me was just so rich and yet so unbelievably practical at the same time. I, 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 I legitimately think he could do that every year or two, and we would probably be all the better for it. I'm not sure that we could hear those things that he taught about enough, but but during that time, man, it's 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 been great to to focus on some other church things other than just preaching. But man, I'm I'm excited to be back this morning, and obviously we're we're kicking off a new book study this morning. We're we're of course kicking off the book of Second Thessalonians. We we came off the heels of what was about 35 messages in the book of First Thessalonians. It in Second Thessalonians, of course, was the that was the logical book to go with next. For a second, I thought there might be a plot twist, but there was there was no plot twist. We, we are going to go into the book of 2 Thessalonians, and I'm so excited about what the Lord has for us out of this incredible book. And, and what we see in the book of 2 Thessalonians is, is that there's actually, there, there's some differences between the book of the 1st and 2 Thessalonians, but there's also a, a very similar theme. You see, throughout our study of the book of First Thessalonians, we repeatedly saw that the book of First Thessalonians is specifically in our Bibles, and, and hopefully some of you can almost finish this statement, but it's to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. Most of y'all should remember that near the end of all five chapters of the book of First Thessalonians, there is some sort of reference in there to the Lord's return. And in that same theme, preparing us for the coming of the Lord, it continues through the book of 2 Thessalonians. And man, that gets more and more real every time you see Israel hit the news like they currently are in the news. It just, it, it's, if you, if you know anything about the place that Israel still has, we have not replaced Israel, y'all. God has a specific, a lot of specific things that are going to happen through that nation. And when they start getting in the news like that, better, better perk your ears up. But, but every chapter in the book of Second Thessalonians, it also has some sort of reference to the coming of the Lord. We see this in verse 7 of chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians. It, it, it references the time when Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. And then in chapter 2, we see the same thing. In, in 2 Thessalonians 2.1, we see another mention of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, in verse 5 of 2 Thessalonians, it, it mentions that we should patiently wait for Christ, clearly talking about his return in, in chapter 3 and verse 5 
of 2 Thessalonians. And, and so again, just like in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the book of 2 Thessalonians carries this similar theme through it. Both of these books are in our Bibles to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. Now, now when the book of 1 Thessalonians references the coming of the Lord, it primarily references it from more of a positive angle. But when 2 Thessalonians references the coming of the Lord, though the positive side of his return is still mentioned, the, the negative side of his return has a whole lot more detail than 1 Thessalonians. Because that's the reality of it, isn't it? For those that believe... The coming of the Lord is the day we're looking to and we're anxiously anticipating. But for those that don't believe, the return of the Lord is not a period of time that someone would look forward to. And so there is more of a darker theme. That's the other side of that coin. Now, now of course, just like the book of 1 Thessalonians, there, there are plenty of other items that are being addressed in this book as well, and we'll be looking at all these things in the coming months. And, and so with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into this book this morning. Now, the, the first thing we always need to consider and that I always want to instill in all of us when we're studying a book, a passage, or a verse is that we need to set the context. What, what's the context? So I want us to see, number one, the, the context of the book. Until the rapture, y'all, we are going to be beating the drum of context in this church because without the right context, you can make the Bible say whatever you want, man. And I know that that seems like common sense, but, but I can assure you it's not too common. The failure to be able to keep a verse in its context is the reason there are so many religious denominations in the world. That's the answer to that question. False religious systems, y'all, they've got a chapter and they've got a verse to prove their belief, but it's just a chapter and a verse out of context. So, so just to make sure we all have our bearings, let's look first at the authors. Letter A, let's look first at the authors. Now, just so you know, the book of 2 Thessalonians, it's only three chapters, right? So... And in three years or so, we should be able to finish this book. But, but it's only three chapters, and, and it has the exact same three authors as the book of 1 Thessalonians, which, of course, are Paul, Silas, and Timothy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it, it says that Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Silvanus and Timotheus, of course, are, is another form of the name Silas and Timothy, which, of course, are the, are the names that they're better known by. But now, now these first two verses of 2 Thessalonians 1, keep in mind, they, they're almost identical to 1 Thessalonians 1. 1. And, and, and I did spend a decent bit of time when we are in 1 Thessalonians on this passage. And so if you want the more exhaustive version, you can, you can go back and listen to it. But what, there is something, though, that I want to make sure that I remind us of in this passage. And, 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 and I want to I remind us, it, it, this book, of course, has multiple authors. And we know from Acts chapter 17 that what happened is, is that 
these multiple authors, they worked together to reach the Thessalonians with the gospel. And what I want to make sure that we're reminded of it is something very important and very significant, and it's that we're playing a team game here. And, and, and yes, that is why we have a plurality of pastors. And, and, and I want to be sure that you know that. But what I want to really make sure I spend a minute reminding you of is that this thing of the church is a team game. Yeah, the pastors work together as a team, but that's actually what we've all been called to do. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these guys are, are they're ministering together. And, and they're ministering together to local individual bodies of Christ. And, and they're encouraging those local individual bodies of Christ that they should function together, and they're teaching them how they should function together so that they can minister to others. So the, so the ministers were working together as a team while encouraging churches to work together as a team. There, listen, there are no lone wolves out there. there. There's no lone wolves out there that are to be ministering on their own. No, no Christianity, it's a, it's a team sport, and listen, your local church is your team. <laughs> and just like every team sport, different people have different roles that they play on that team based upon their strengths. You guys, you guys remember who Dennis Rodman is? Most of you guys, you guys remember Dennis Rodman, right? He, he played on those Chicago Bulls teams with Michael Jordan in the 1990s. And, and Dennis Rodman, this guy, obviously... You know, he, he, yeah, he's, 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 got a, he's got a persona, doesn't he? But in addition to all the wild antics, Dennis Rodman is widely regarded as the best rebounder that ever lived. And, and I think we can all agree, that's, man, that's a pretty impressive accomplishment. But do you think that it would be a good idea to have him take the last shot on a team that includes Michael Jordan on it? Does that, does that seem like, 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 like a, a logical thing? It, and you don't even really need to know a whole lot about basketball to, to understand that. And I'm saying that to simply make the point that, that they were great at different things. And yeah, of course, Jordan is the best of all time. And if you believe any different, you're crazy. But, but, but despite that, listen, there's not a day in his life that he could rebound like Dennis Rodman. And the way that he was gifted was an essential part of that team, and they couldn't have won the way they did without him. And that's how we're to function together. We're to function together like a team where different members of the team have different strengths, and we all function together playing to our strengths in the way that God has gifted us. And this thing of the church, it also works similar to a team sport in the sense that, though it's a team sport, there are individual awards at the end of the season. Because, because when this season of our temporal existence is over and we're in eternity at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded with crowns for what we did with the spiritual gifts that God entrusted us with as we served him on the team that we call Cali Harbin Baptist Church. Listen, we're in this thing together. 
the Christian life as a team sport with individual rewards at the end. So, so as we look at the authors of this book, I, I want to remind us of how this place is to function. Next, the same verse in 2 Thessalonians 1, 1, it, it tells us who the audience is. The audience. It, it, says, it says that this letter was written to the church of the Thessalonians. And, and I just want to mention that so that we're aware that there is a direct application to us in this book because we, we also are the church. And, and it doesn't take a theologian to realize that not all the books in the Bible are written directly to the church. But we should be aware that this book is written to the church. You see, all of the Bible is written for us, but not all of the Bible is written to us. That's right. This, this is easily understood, y'all, when we look at the Old Testament. There, there's a ton we can glean from the Old Testament. No, we should not unhitch ourselves from it. There's a, there's a ton of that that we can glean. Let's look at the Old Testament sacrifices, right? The, the pictures that God is painting for us in those Old Testament sacrifices are, will just boggle your mind. But we understand we no longer need to go out and make sacrifices because Jesus became the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. So, so there's a ton we can glean from studying those sacrifices through pictures and types. And again, that's not to, to minimize the Old Testament, but the application is different because the books in the Old Testament are not written specifically to the church. We're something unique. We are something different. Not every book of the New Testament was written to the church either for what it's worth, but the book of 2 Thessalonians is, and so there is a direct and a specific application. Now, now for those of you that were here for our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, you will hopefully remember some of the history behind th that church, what was motivating that, what was the motivation for that book being written. And, and we find that in Acts chapter 17 is where we get that history. And, and, and so I, I don't want to exhaust that, but I do want to mention it because it does go hand in hand with the writing of the book of 2 Thessalonians. And I do think that what I'm about to tell you is going to make this book make a whole lot more sense as we continue to push forward through this book. Okay, so you'll remember there was were, there were some major persecution that broke out in Thessalonica. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they had come into town, and, and they preached the gospel, and man, many people got saved. And, and as a result, Acts 17.5 even says that, that this caused the whole city to get into an uproar. And those that didn't believe, wow, these guys were, these guys were furious. They were fuming. They were ticked off. And people were being beaten for no other reason than the fact that they had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those that got saved were running around saying, there's one Lord and there's one King, and his name is Jesus Christ. And those that didn't believe hated that. And it, and it got so bad that they had to sneak Paul out to Berea. They said, get, get him out of here. And, and some of these guys that didn't believe, they even followed him to Berea to hunt him down. I don't know how flexible your schedule has to be to actually spend the time and have that much hate in your heart to go do that, but that's actually what happened. And, and so Paul, eventually he moves on to Athens, and, and when he's in Athens, 
he's sitting there and he's thinking about the Thessalonians. And, he, and he's thinking about the, the, the Thessalonians. He's finally come up for air after all of this persecution had hit. And, and he misses them like crazy. And so what he does, you'll remember, is, is he sends Timothy back to check on them and to encourage them and to, to strengthen them in the faith. And so when Timothy comes back, he comes to where Paul is. And he says, oh, man, I got to tell you, these folks are the real deal. These folks are sticking to the stuff. This, this group has got it going on. And so after receiving that word from Timothy, that's when Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote the first letter to the Thessalonians to encourage them and, and to commend them and to, to strengthen them. Now, if you think about it, somehow this first letter to the Thessalonians was delivered to the Thessalonians, right? Somehow they got this letter back to them after Timothy came back and brought this good report. This letter comes to the Thessalonians. Somehow they got that. Keep in mind, the church of the Thessalonians didn't go out to their mailbox and say, oh, let's see what we've got today. Oh, it's just bills. No, they, they, that, that, that's, not what they, that's not what they did. So, so somehow that letter had to get delivered to them, what we now know as the book of 1 Thessalonians. And the reality is, is we don't actually know who delivered it. But, but, but evidently, whoever it was, they must have stuck around long enough after delivering that first letter to get their hand on the pulse of what was going on in Thessalonica now as time moved forward. Are you following that? So the church of the Thessalonians, now they, now they have this letter from Paul. And whoever delivered this letter to them, they're sticking around and they're seeing how they're going to respond to this letter. And so after being there for a period of time, he, whoever this guy is, he comes back and, then, and he spills the tea to the fellas. And, and, and this is what prompts Paul, Silas, and Timothy to write the second letter of Thessalonians, the, the book of what we know as 2 Thessalonians. So, so that's who the audience is, and, and that's just a little history of, and, and the motive behind the second letter to the same audience. Now let's look at the reminders to the believers. The next thing I want us to see is the reminders to the believers. Because in these, in these initial verses in 2 Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they give us a couple reminders at the end of verse 1 and at the beginning of verse 2. And, and I get it. What is about to be said, Paul says every single time that he writes. But instead of that causing us to ignore it, and, and instead of it as causing it to yeah, 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 skim over that, right? I believe that it ought to actually bring our attention to it. God's book doesn't have a volume button, so he repeats himself to turn up the volume, and Paul says this every time he writes. And, and so let's not miss what God has for us. And, and the first thing I want us to see that God is reminding us of is our position in God our position in God. If you look with me again at 2 Thessalonians 1.1, it says that the Thessalonian believers, they were in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the same truth 
applies to every single believer that's alive on the planet right now. That is our position in Christ. The moment we got saved, the Holy Spirit of God, it, it took, he took up residence in all of us. But what also simultaneously was happening at the same time is, is that we were placed in God. So now God resides in us, and we reside in him. This is exactly what Paul lays out for us in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, listen closely, it says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You see, if you, if you don't read this verse with a particular lens over top of it, a, a Calvinistic lens over top of it, like Corey has been talking about on Wednesday nights, when you don't do that, there is a plain reading of this verse. God is choosing something here. He is making a choice. But it's not who would and wouldn't be saved. It's the position of those who would be saved. That is what he's teaching in this chapter. It's the position. It's saying that before the foundation of the world, God had this thing plotted out. God chose that those that put their faith in Jesus Christ would be placed in him. That is our position. And, and he placed us there so that we would be, as the rest of the verse says, so that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. Let me, let me ask you this. On your own, with, without Christ, is there anyone here who has lived an entire life where you could say, I just stand before the Lord holy and without blame? <laughs> right. But you see, because of salvation through Christ, that's how God sees us now, because we're in him. And so because we're in him, he, he doesn't see us for the sinners that we actually are. He sees Christ's holiness, and he sees Christ's blamelessness. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're, they're reminding us of our position, and they're reminding us of who we are. Because, it, because it, in, in understanding of that, listen, it should cause us to live out in practice who we are in our position as holy and blameless. So we should live like who we are. Not sinless perfection, but, but as we mature spiritually, we should be able to live out practically who we are positionally as holy and blameless. So that's our position in God, and now I want us to see our principles from God. Let's look at our, our principles from God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 again. It, so, so verse 1 said, we're in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 2 tells us two principles that are from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is so important because if we're ever going to function together as a team and we're ever going to function together in harmony and actually live like who we are in Christ as holy and blameless, then we're going to need some grace and peace. 
And, and that's why you always see Paul saying the same thing to every single church in every book he writes. Grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Every time you turn around, it's not because he can't think of anything to say. And it's not that just he's not just greeting you to so he can ramp up to the good stuff. No, that's inspired, inerrant word of God as well. And I get it. Grace was the common greeting that the Greeks used, and peace was the common greeting that the Jews used. So Paul is identifying both of these groups within the church. But what I want to make sure that we see is, is, is that he keeps telling us this primarily because it's going to be essential that our lives are filled with grace and peace if we're ever going to function together in unity and we're ever going to function together as a team and as a body. And, and it's important to note that as Paul always uses this phrase as an introduction in every book that he wrote, have you ever noticed that it's always in the same exact order? Grace, peace, grace, peace. Always the same order. The reason is because there can be no peace without grace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we, we, we know from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're justified or saved by grace through faith. And because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God designed it so that our faith would access his grace in salvation, and that was as a result of that, peace was made with God. We needed peace with God because John 3.36 teaches us that the wrath of God abides on those that don't believe. But by God's grace, through faith, we're now at peace with God. But it's important that we see that God's grace, it had to come first, didn't it? God's grace had to come first in order for there to be peace. The grace of God in sending his only begotten son to die on the cross on our behalf, that grace is what gave us access to peace. But the grace came first. James chapter 3 and verse 17, it, it shows us the same idea like this. It, it says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. First there's purity, then there's peace. In many cases, that purity looks like a whole lot like grace. But, but the peace is always coming after that. And that's what Jesus showed us. He showed us grace that is beyond our comprehension when he died for us when we were lost in sins. And he died for us when we were enemies of his. And, and because he did that for us, that's what opened the door for there to be peace in our relationship with God. And so do you know how he fully expects his people to do you know do you, do you know what he now fully expects for his people to do in light of that he expects us to show each other grace so that there can be peace 
But for many believers, they, 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 they don't give grace because self is still so much alive. And then since there's no grace, there's no peace. And showing grace is always going to take denying and dying to self. And as we work together and as we, we function together as a team and, and function together as a body, the only way that there will ever be consistent peace in this place is if there is a steady supply of grace that's churning. God's grace flowing in us and God's grace flowing out of us. Our, our grace supply, of course, it, it, only, it can only come from God. He, he gives it to us because otherwise... People are going to drive us nuts. They, they're going to have their little quirks. And they're, none of you guys do. And I'm sure you know that I don't either. But these other people out there, they have these quirks. And, and they have these idiosyncrasies and these little things that make you want to beat your head against a wall. Or maybe even sometimes beat their head against a wall. But, but the way we'll get through all of that, y'all, is by understanding just how gracious God was with us, with all of our shortcomings and idiosyncrasies and all of our little quirks. Uh, uh, other times, it, it won't just be their little quirks that, that cause problems. It will be that you just flat out feel like they did you wrong. And it, now sometimes the wrong is perceived and, and sometimes it's actual. But, but regardless, you believe with all your heart that they were cold-blooded to you. They, they overlooked you, maybe. They talked down to you. They talked bad about you. They didn't treat your spouse how you think they should treat your spouse. They didn't treat your kids how you think they should treat your kids. And we could go on and on with the different ways that we could feel like somebody has wronged us. <laughs> But regardless of how someone wrongs us, the bottom line is, in order for there to ever be peace, somehow, some way, there has got to be grace. And if you say, man, I really don't have any drama like that in my life right now, and, and I've never experienced that at this church before, well, just stick around a little bit longer. And that is not meant to be a knock on us. It's that no matter where you are, it's only a matter of time before you either wrong someone and need grace or they wrong you and you need it. Or you need to give it. It's, it's going to happen, though. So just be prepared. And, and it's pretty simple, really. Just be prepared to extend the same amount of grace to others that our Heavenly Father extended to us that's exactly what the bible teaches ephesians 4 32 says it like this and be ye kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another how should we forgive though even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you the two most important words in the bible are what like an ass that's right like an ass how are we to forgive one another? As God has forgiven you. And listen, for us to do anything other than that is to, uh, for us to have a complete misconception for how much we have wronged God and how much grace we've needed and how much forgiveness we've needed from God. 
Because when we realize all that we have been forgiven of and we realize just how big of an affront our sin was before a holy God, we then realize the degree to which we're to forgive and we actually see just how reasonable of a command this actually is. And if we're ever going to work together as a team and as a body, it's going to take grace and peace. Now, now, oftentimes there, there can be an issue in churches that leads to a lack of grace and therefore a lack of peace uh, that I want to address because many times how this thing works out there is, is that the issues for some begin with some sort of clamoring for, for honor or clamoring for position or recognition or a pat on the back. And if that's what's going on on the inside of us, that desire, we won't have inner peace in our lives. And that's going to go hand in hand with us not having peace with each other. And man, churches are full of people like that. The ministry is full of people like that. Pastors that can't function together as a team because they've got to be the one preaching every time. They, 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 they won't let anybody else loose just in case they get some shine or maybe they get some credit for the good things that are going on at the church. And because they're insecure, because their, their flesh is, is so alive and they desire the notoriety, they can't get along with anybody. They don't play well with others. And, and, and they can't be an example or an example to the flock like they've been called to be. But when self doesn't need all of that, and, and leadership is okay with someone else getting credit and okay with God using someone else, Wow, there can be there can be peace. And not to mention you sure can accomplish a whole lot more. As has been said, it's amazing what you can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit. Right. But but like I alluded to a second ago, this certainly isn't limited in the church to pastors and elders. But for most churches, man, this is alive and well through throughout the entire church. It can happen in every ministry of the church if we're not careful. It can be children's ministry, youth, it can be worship, it, 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 it can be you, you name it. It doesn't matter. But people can't work together as a team because they need honor and they need credit. And, and they want to share in the glory that only the Lord Jesus Christ deserves. And, and what happens is, is, because of someone's insecurity and because of their, their flesh being alive, the lack of inner peace that comes with that, it's spilling over onto everyone else, and it causes them to behave in ways that require everyone else to show a whole lot of grace. Now, whether again, whether or not this individual has actually been wronged or not, that's a whole other story, but it doesn't matter because they've feel that way. And it creates a mess, and, there, there's, and there's no peace. And again, if we're going to have peace, and we're going to have harmony while working together as a team, everybody's going to have to show an abundance of grace. And, and we give grace and forgiveness because the grace and forgiveness that we've received from God. And God, of course, is the one who gives us the strength to show others grace and peace. He's the source. So those are the principles that we receive from God. He's called us to grace and peace. He's empowered us to live in grace and peace. And then next, I want us to see from 2 Thessalonians the obligation to be beholden. The obligation to be beholden. And you've probably noticed in your study sheet that we're rolling with the bees. So that's why you're reading that phrase going, what in the world does that mean? 
It's because you sometimes got to get a little bit wordy with the Thoris if you're going to stick to the bees, man. It's not, it's not, a, it's not an easy task. Beholden just means, be, beholden means you, it's a feeling of indebtedness. It's you're, you're feeling indebted to someone that has done good to you. And, and, and this is how Paul, Silas, and Timothy, this is how they felt to God. In, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, it, it tells us why they felt that way. Would you look at it with me? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, We are bound to thank God always for you. In, in, in other words, we're, we're, we're obligated to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or as it is worthy, because that your faith groweth exceedingly in the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying that, that because of the way that God is using our investment in your lives and, and the way that you guys are growing we have an obligation before God to thank him for that because your growth is something that is worthy of our gratitude. They're saying, how could we do anything but praise and thank God for the way that you guys are growing in the Lord? How could we not? Now, when we were in our study of 1 Thessalonians, we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 18, we saw that, it, that it's God's will that in everything... We're to give thanks. So, of course, we should thank him for everything, right? Our, our food, our shelter, our, our spouse, our kids, our salvation, and on and on. But let me ask you, when is the last time you were investing in someone else's life and, and you were witnessing them grow in the Lord to the point where you literally felt an obligation to thank God for the work that he was doing in their life? Listen, my, my hope and my prayer for this church is that our heart's desire, desire will be so directed towards investing God's word into other people's lives that when we come before God in prayer, we're just overtaken with an obligation to thank him for all the work that he's doing. Now, now for some of us, that will actually take an effort to invest in someone else's life. It's hard to be overtaken with an obligation to thank God for all the work that he's doing through you in someone else's life if you're not investing in anybody else's life. Now, for others, it may be that you are investing in someone's life, and there's fruit. But man, maybe you found yourself just going through the motions so much that you haven't taken the time to come before God and thank him for what is a privilege of having the ability and the opportunity to minister God's word to someone else. For, for Paul, Silas, and Timothy, this was their all-consuming passion. This, they, they, they had a priority on ministering to others so much so that when they came before God, that was what overwhelmed them in their time of prayer, coming for God to, to thank them for these brothers and these sisters that they'd reach with the gospel, thank them for the way that they're growing. So, so that's why Paul, Silas, and Timothy felt like it was their duty to thank God for the Thessalonians. But, but let's get into some more detail in, in regards to what this growth actually looked like in the lives of the Thessalonians, Thessalonian believers. Number four, the growth of the brethren. The growth of the brethren. 
read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 again. Did you notice when you read it the first time? Here's what it says. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly in the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. <laughs> the Bible says it, the faith, it didn't just grow. It grew exceedingly, and, and they didn't just have charity. Their, their charity was, was abounding. <laughs> So this church, it was growing in some incredible ways. First, let's, let's look at the way they were growing in their faith. Let's look at the way they were growing in, in their faith. Their faith grew exceedingly. And this, their faith growing exceedingly, you may remember, this is actually an answer to prayer. Paul, Silas, and Timothy specifically prayed for exactly that. Now, now understand, it wasn't that the Thessalonians didn't have faith. They, they, we studied back in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, Paul, Silas, and Timothy actually praised this church at Thessalonica. They praised them for their work of faith. They desperately wanted to get back to Thessalonica to see those Thessalonian believers so they could see their face because of the way that they loved them. But they also prayed night and day, not just so that they could see their face, but so that they could perfect which was that which was lacking in their faith, right? They, they had faith, but there, were, there was something that was lacking. There was still room to improve in this area. There's room for growth. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're just overwhelmed with thankfulness to God that their prayers had been answered because the church of the Thessalonians, their, their faith hadn't just grown, but it, but it grew exceedingly. That was an answer to prayer. And you just have to believe that, that the first letter they received, what we now know as the book of 1 Thessalonians, you just have to believe that God just really used that letter to contribute to this exceeding growth in the faith of these Thessalonians. I mean, they received the word of God in that letter. This was no ordinary letter. And we know that they received everything that Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote. They received it in a very specific way. They, 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 we, they, they approached it as the word of God. And when you approach God's word like that, you, you won't just grow in your faith. You'll grow exceedingly. You remember that we learned that in 1 Thessalonians? We learned that in chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. Listen closely. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. This is, this is such an important principle for us to learn. And, and, and this church of the Thessalonians, man, they got it. They understood it. They received the word of God that they received from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, actually the word of God. And when you approach God's word that way, this verse teaches us, it will have an effectual work in your life. In other words, it will produce a result in your life. And that's exactly how the Thessalonians received the word of God. 
And, and by the time Paul, Silas, and Timothy had written their second letter to the Thessalonians, that is something very significant that had happened. There was something very significant that had happened, and it's that they had received more of the Word of God. They, they had received the book of 1 Thessalonians in the meantime. And, and just like they did when Paul, Silas, and Timothy shared the Word of God with them verbally and shared it with them in person, they received the letter that we now call 1 Thessalonians the same way. And they received that thing as the Word of God. And, and so they had been exposed to more truth and they received it as the word of God, not the word of men. And it had an effectual work in their lives. And they grew exceedingly. Listen, is that how you approach the word of God in your life? As the very inspired, inerrant word of God where you just hold it in awe and you just stand amazed at the supernatural word that God preserved for us? Because that approach is key to your growth. But the church of the Thessalonians, they, they didn't just grow exceedingly in faith. Verse 3 also says they grew in their charity. Letter B, they grew in their charity. The, the verse we read a, a few minutes ago, it goes as far to say that the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Every single one of the Thessalonians in this church had charity that was abounding towards every other member of the Thessalonian church. Charity, it's, it's, it's love perfected. We could say it, it's love in action. And every single person had charity that was abounding, or in other words, it was, it was increasing, it was overflowing in abundance. They had this toward every single other member of this Thessalonian church. Are you getting the picture? How are, how are we doing on that? These brothers and sisters, they had charity towards one another. They had so much charity, it's like it's overflowing. It's like it's in excess. You see, we've already learned that the Thessalonians had charity. They already had it. We saw it in 1 Thessalonians 3.6. It tells us that Timothy came back with a good report and told the fellows about the charity of the Thessalonians. In the next chapter, in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 9 and 10, here's, here's, what it, here's what it says. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. The church of the Thessalonians had love, and the church of the Thessalonians, they, they, had, they had charity. But in the first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're beseeching them, they're imploring them, they're practically begging them to keep increasing in that. Keep increasing in it more and more, and that's what they did. They increased in their love and their charity more and more. They weren't content with it being where it was. And so when the second letter is written to the Thessalonians, it, it wasn't just this time, it wasn't just that they had charity. They were already in a great place, but they continued to grow, and now it isn't just that they had charity, it's that that charity was abounding now. Oh man, I'm, I'm sure there were plenty of people there that, that, that 
had issues that made it really tough for them to get along with. Oh, I, I'm sure people there, I'm sure they had idiosyncrasies. I'm, I'm sure there were some things that not everyone saw eye to eye on, but those things didn't cause this church a problem because they were full and overrunning with charity. What do you think? If God was inspiring Paul to write a letter to our church, you think he could classify us as a church filled with charity? And if he couldn't, would you be the reason why? And again, this church was not only defined by having charity, they were increasing in this charity. I mean, how incredible is this church? They already were characterized by faith and charity. But as time went on, listen, they weren't content to stay there. It wasn't good enough. They kept growing and growing, and that's what this thing is actually all about. If you're not growing, something is seriously wrong. When you look at back at the last six months of your life, how have you grown? If you look back at the last year, how have you grown? Listen, answering that question is so unbelievably important. For some of you, I wish I could do something to snap you out of it because you sit in services like this and you get confronted with the truth of God's word and you walk out the back door and you don't change. And the same things you were struggling with last year are the same things you're struggling with this year. And the same things you know you need to stop, you still haven't stopped. And the same things you know you need to start, you still haven't started. Corey just finished a series on, on habits where he used the acronym HABITS. And he, he talked about things like hanging out with God and spending intimate quality time with God. He, 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 he spent time talking about accountability with one another. He, he talked about Bible memorization or, or meditating on God's word day and night. He talked about involvement in the church. He talked about tithing and, and giving. He talked about studying the Bible for yourself and not just relying on pastors for an answer. When you are confronted with those truths, what changes have you made in your life where you found yourself falling short? You know, it's funny. I, I genuinely have no desire to see how many people that we can cram into this room. Because that's not the goal. That's never been the goal. It's never been a res my responsibility. The goal isn't to grow the church. It's to grow people. If our attendance went up by a thousand next week and we went over to the gym and it was nothing but people that came in and filed in, listened to me flap my gums, and went out the back door and never changed, you can count me out, man. I don't know, we're wasting our time. I, I, and I don't mean growing in, in head knowledge. I've got zero desire to give you more head knowledge, man. <laughs> you can go to YouTube. You, I have no desire to do that this morning or any other morning unless the knowledge in your head transforms your heart. 
I proclaim the truth of the Word of God for the purpose of seeing lives actually change. To see someone come in lost and leave saved. To see someone coming in struggling with sexual sin and leave moving forward in a pure life. To see someone coming in struggling with worry and leave walking down the path of faith. To see someone come in living their lives walking in the flesh and leave begin, begin living their life walking in the Spirit. And listen, God will do that with a submissive heart. But even beyond that, my, my hope for our church is that just like the, the, the Thessalonians were already living lives characterized by faith and charity, and, the, and, the, and they were growing even more in that faith and in that charity, in that same way, for those of us who, who do have faith and we do have charity and, and our lives are characterized by other virtues, patience and grace, and mercy, and all of these things, that even though some of us have been established in those virtues, that, that we would continue growing more and more exceedingly and abounding in those virtues, so that we never get content with where we are, no matter how far along down the path of spiritual growth that we are, that we wouldn't be content and we'd keep growing and pushing forward and growing and growing. Our goal is that through the preaching of the Word of God in this church, through discipleship in this church, is that every single member of this church would ultimately become a spiritual father in their maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible reveals to us these, these different stages of spiritual growth which coincide with different stages of physical growth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, it's, it's one of the places that talks about babes in Christ or, or babies in Christ. Then 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, it, it teaches us about spiritual little children and, and spiritual young men and spiritual fathers. And there's a lot that we could get into as it relates to these stages of spiritual growth, but, but my point isn't to exhaust that this morning. My, my point is to show you that God's plan for every single one of us is for us to continue to grow, and the goal for everyone in this room is to become what the Bible refers to as a spiritual father. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being a spiritual baby, a spiritual little child even, a spiritual young man. There's just a major problem if we stay that way. Just like in the physical world, it, if you're a baby, which is where it all begins physically and spiritually, if you're a baby and you stay that way month after month and year after year, there's a major problem. There is a disorder. There, there is something wrong, and we need to figure out what it is. And if you're sitting in this, tr in this room, hearing the truth of the Word of God presented to you week after week and month after month and year after year, and you go all that time not growing, then there's a problem. Because you're sitting in this room, and, and these truths of the Word of God are, are entering your mind, but they're never making their way all the way to your heart. It boils down to a heart problem. And that's one of my greatest fears for our church and every other church like ours, that somehow, in the, in, in the fear is, is that somehow in the midst of getting taught the deeper things of the Word of God, that somehow we would begin filing in and out of here 
numbing ourselves to what God wants to do in our hearts. My fear is that many of us may be overtaken with what the Bible refers to as being dull of hearing. Dull of hearing, it means that you, you become lazy or slothful with the truths that you've received. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, here, here's what it says. Would you look at it? It says this, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. In other words, there were a whole lot of things that needed to be said, but it sure was incredibly challenging to convey them because the people were being slothful and lazy with the truths that they had been entrusted with. Listen closely to verse 12. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, or he is a baby. doesn't mean he's good looking. It mean he's, he's, he, he's, a, he's a baby, right? There, 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 there were people that, that weren't growing. The time had come that they ought to be the ones doing some of the teaching. They should have been the one teaching the truths that they had learned, the teaching others the truths that they had been entrusted with. But instead, it was actually necessary for those who had been learning and learning to learn again and go back to the basics and be fed with milk because they were still spiritual babies. They weren't growing. They were dull of hearing. Like I just mentioned, this phrase, dull of hearing, it, it essentially means slothful. That word dull that we see here, it's, it's actually translated slothful in the next chapter of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 12. So, so again, dull of hearing is describing when we're slothful and when we're lazy with the truths that we hear. And you know what happens when we're slothful and when we're lazy with the truths that we hear? It, it, and you know what happens when, when we get slothful and lazy and we, and we don't do anything with those truths? We don't exercise those truths? The same thing that happens in the physical world when we're slothful and lazy, we get fat. Am I allowed to say the F word in this church? I think it has become that way, hasn't it? That's, that's what it is. I'm not being cold-blooded. That's just what it, that's just what it is. We get spiritually fat and we become a bunch of spiritual fatheads that think that we have arrived because we know some things about the Bible now, but in all actuality we're dull of hearing because we're slothful with what we've heard. And we've retained head knowledge, but we haven't done a doggone thing with it. And so I'm asking you this morning, are, are you growing I mentioned a few minutes ago that our, our desire at this church is that every single person would arrive at the place spiritually where they become a spiritual father. And I told you that our, our goal isn't to grow the church, it's, it's to grow people. But you know one of the key things that it takes to be classified as a spiritual father? The same thing it takes in the physical world. That you reproduce yourself in somebody else. 
that you have part in someone else's spiritual birth and their upbringing. So no, no, our church isn't focused on on growing the church. It's, It's focused on growing people. But if people are growing the way they ought to grow, they'll reproduce. That's what a healthy church looks like. Not a bunch of people that know a lot of uh, know a lot about the Bible, and, and we chalk that up to spiritual maturity. But people reproducing themselves and others through evangelism and through discipleship. And here's how it works: as a result of sharing our faith, people are born again, and we have babies in Christ in this building. And those babies in Christ, they they need to be discipled so that they can become a spiritual little child and a spiritual young man. And then they can also become a spiritual father so that they can reproduce themselves in the lives of others. And if that's going on, then there should always be babies in Christ within this local body of Christ. And in those babies in Christ are going to be doing what babies do. And they're going to be dirtying diapers, crying and making messes. But then the spiritually mature ones, the spiritual fathers, what they're supposed to be doing is they're supposed to be doing what fathers do. Changing diapers, wiping tears, cleaning up messes, and showing grace and charity. And it's so important that we're growing so that we can go out and so that we can reach people with the gospel. And then after we reach them, that we show these babies in Christ grace so they have room to grow and so that there can be peace and charity within the body. And that's no different than than how physical maturity works and how physical fathers are expected to behave. When babies make messes, we're there to help clean them up. Now, some of you guys have somehow got off the hook on a lot of that, and evidently I'm going to need to take notes on how you guys did that because I have cleaned up my fair share of messes in my lifetime and have not found a way to skirt that. But, but nonetheless, when babies make messes, we're to be there to help clean them up. And if we're growing the way they should be, listen, this place will never be just this comfortable country club where we walk around in a perpetual state of bliss and and and, 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 and everything is just always hunky dory and everyone loves each other to the fullest and no one's ever bothered by anything anybody ever does. No, I really hope that subconsciously that is not your expectation for a church. If we're doing it right, this will never be a place where there aren't people running around that need a whole lot of grace because there will always be new believers and even older believers that are still babies in Christ running around doing what babies do. There are plenty of older believers that have never spiritually matured running around this planet too. Don't, don't mistake age for spiritual maturity. But if you're one of the ones that's actually spiritually mature, then it's going to be evident by the way you treat the immature ones. It doesn't mean you don't address issues. It doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sin. It doesn't mean we let spiritual babies act however they want to act without some tough conversations. It just means that in the midst of that, there will be grace shown so that there can be peace. So let me ask you again. Are you growing? Do you see changes in your life 
over the course of time where this changed and I, I turned the corner here on that on this day or around this time. Are you doing something with the truths that you've been entrusted with? Have you, have you reached the place of growing to where you could classify yourself as a, as a spiritual father? Or have you become dull of hearing with the truths of the word of God and become slothful? Will you turn the corner on that and get your heart right this morning? Father, we love you, and I, I thank you for this group, God. We, we live in a day and age where we've got a lot of information at our fingertips. God, I pray that this is a group that refuses to stop growing in you. God, we, we need you desperately. Everything that, that, that we need, it comes. you are the source of it. I pray, God, that we would have grace in our lives and peace, and we would have faith, and that we would have charity, and that we would extend that to each other, and that this would be a place where the gospel, your gospel goes out to the world, it goes out to our community, and that this is a body of Christ that actually functions as a team. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.